Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Listeners, uh, welcome to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and this I is, am Wendy. That is Wendy, <laughs> and we we are um, drinking wine, and we are ready to talk about well, as ready as we'll ever be, talking about religion in movies and religious movies. And there is a certain there's a certain oxymoronic quality. Yeah. I like to say that word oxymoronic. Oxymoronic. I like because um, any of you who have listened to Geeks Without God, that's a plug for fellow podcaster Tim Wick, um, I have been a guest on his show because I am a geek without God. I am an atheist. And so I'm going to sit here and hold forth on my concepts of religion and movies from a perspective of, well, that's just ridiculous. Why would you believe that? Yeah, same here. I mean, I, I too have been a guest on Geeks Without God. Twice. Okay, she's <laughs> yes. one up on me. Yeah. And I was the first, their first guest. Oh, wow. I know, I know, I know. I don't know why they chose me as their first guest. I think it was, it was Act Convergence and yeah. on a panel, and therefore I was on it because I am on all panels at Convergence, as we all know. As we all know. Okay, well, there is something to be said for an atheistic perspective because then what you can talk about is you can divorce yourself from the religion uh-huh. and actually talk about the movies as stories and as quality films or not so quality films as the case may be right right so and i you know i actually do enjoy watching religious movies you know a good religious film is like a good just a good movie because it holds a narrative, it's an interesting tale, and you know, and there's they, a they... supernatural element that's yeah, sort of exciting. Yeah. Often a thriller element, like there's that whole prophecy subgenre mm-hmm. of, well, this is what the prophecy is. How is it actually going to play out? And usually there's some twist, and they're like, oh, that's what the prophecy meant. Oh yeah. Oh, and that makes it exciting and enjoyable. Oh yeah, and you know, I I just kind of see, you know, seeing um, something like the greatest story ever told or Ben Hur. I see it kind of as the same narrative thing as going to watch Thor. Yeah. Thor is a god. People used to worship him, but, you know, not the Marvel character, but, you know, it's kind of <laughs> the same basis. I don't know. You know. I kind of do worship Thor, the Marvel character. Well, I know you do. You've got a thing for Thor. <laughs> I have a total thing for Thor. <laughs> Hi, Chris Hemsworth. You're my favorite. <laughs> but anyway, you know, so, you know, as athe- atheists, we can enjoy religious movies oh yeah they're great movies yeah yeah great movies are great movies a great movie is a great movie and let's face it the bible is full of great stories of adventure and heroism and fighting against the odds and the lone hero who believes in himself Mm -hmm. the bible is nothing but heroes mythology through and through so you take one of those stories it's going to be excellent of course it's also going to be male-centric and usually have some twisted ideas about sex Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) Yes, I did. 
So let's start with the classic yeah. Bible movies, because what I find fascinating about the classic Bible movies is that everybody loves them as classic movies, and the fact that they're Bible stories is sort of secondary to how much they are revered. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ben-Hur being probably the big example. I mean, yeah. well, either version of it. I mean, there was, what, the 1925 version, which was legendary for its great big action scenes. And then, of course, the Charlton Heston one with the thinly veiled homoeroticism and That's also so great big it. epic action scenes. Yule Brenner. Oh, oh, yes. Yule Brenner. Oh, Yule Brenner. Oh, you know what? He could order me to kill people any day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I feel like that right there might be an argument to, an argument against God because a loving God would not be mad at Yul Brynner. So anyway, you've got Ben-Hur. Let's stick to talking about the Charlton Heston one. That's the one most yeah, people yeah, have yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's kind of hard to track down the other one. Yeah. Um, it's And the reason it was made, because it's an epic, right? They're into the big epics. And if you wanted to sell people on an epic tale, you picked a tale they already knew or a tale that you could convince them was going to be epic in the right ways. Like, right. you will, you of course you're going to believe me when I tell you that this is going to be epic. It's, it's sort of a Bible story. Oh, well, yeah, I totally want to see that then. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was pretty much raised without religion, so I, I'm kind of clueless on some of the details of the Bible. So what I got from Ben-Hur is that it was actually an original plot, but it kind of follows the story of Christ. Like, Christ is the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern... It's like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead scenario for the Bible story. Yeah, Am he, I correct he, it, in that? Or is that the robe? Well, the robe kind of is, too. Yeah. Oh, man, I forgot about the robe. And then there's there's um, Samson and Delilah. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I, I used to stay up late... On the night before Easter, they always showed it like at midnight, mm-hmm. and we would have we would go to my grandmother's house for Easter, the whole family before the divorce. So my dad too, mm-hmm. and we would go to my grandmother's house for Easter, and I don't even really know why because we didn't do anything together. It was weird, but I would stay up late because it was a Saturday night, and I would watch late night TV, and like three years running. Samson and Delilah was their choice for the midnight movie. And I watched it like three years running. And I really enjoyed it. And of course, it was a big biblical epic. I mean, and take this as a, I don't know, if you haven't seen some of these films, I really like Samson and Delilah. I think it's kind of cheesy good fun. (laughs) Victor Mature and Hedy Lamarr. I was like, and the woman oh, in it was beautiful. It was Hedy Lamarr. Oh, of all people to have in a biblical epic is Hedy I Lamarr. I know. <laughs> and Angela yeah. Lansbury. Mm-hmm. George Sanders. Oh, wow. What Everybody's a cast. Russ Tamblin. Holy cow. I'd forgotten. How, I may need to go out and rewatch this. I've, I haven't watched it in years. Samson and Delilah. There's one. And... As a kid going to Sunday school, I knew the story of Samson, and it was so it was really enjoyable to just watch a movie that you're like, oh look, and there's the part where they cut off his hair and they blind him. Oh, there's the part where mm-hmm. he pulls down the temple walls and everybody dies. That was fun. <laughs> Hooray! Hooray for your Wait. Easter viewing pleasure. Very strange. Yeah, I never understood the let's watch horrible things happen to people as part of your holiday 
Well, it is a sort of religious a Christian trope, though, isn't it? Yeah. Right? Oh, the that suffering makes the you suffering, a better person sort yeah. of thing. Oh. Yeah, and merely by watching other people suffer in a movie while eating popcorn, this will enlighten you and make you a better person. Perhaps. Huh. I'm, I'm pretty sure sitting through Passion of the Christ did not make me a better person. Okay, but now we're jumping ahead to Oh, I know, I know. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying. Just okay, saying. Okay, so I mentioned briefly the robe. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that in forever, so I can't Yeah, even... I've seen it only once. Yeah. Okay, I, I feel like know, we really should double-check that Ben-Hur was actually about Bible stories. What if it wasn't? Well, I know Ben-Hur. I know Christ shows up in Ben-Hur. <laughs> it does. totally does. Does he have a cameo? Yeah, yeah it, Christ has some cameos. In is Ben-Hur. it an uncredited cameo? Oh, no, no. Well, I, I don't know if you see his face. I can't remember. Oh, there, it's a mini-series. Well, no, that's a... That's a TV miniseries. There's a TV miniseries. Where is Ben Hur? More results. I want the classic. But who the yeah, hell? Yeah, 1959. Wants... There. It yeah. Is. Who the sh- who the hell would want some bullshit made in 2003? <laughs> Fuck look, 2003. Look, look. The picture oh, at the oh. top of the IMD page. <laughs> it, the IMDb page is totally homoerotic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Jack. And Hawkins. Stephen Boyd. Is that the the actor's name? The, the guy who... Masala, yes. Yes, yes. Okay, so for those of you who are not in the know on this one, the director decided that there should be kind of this homoerotic tension between um, the Stephen Boyd character and the Charlton Heston character uh, because he felt that injecting that into the performances... Uh, he could kind of provide the motivation for Masala. Was it Masala? Masala. It Masala uh, sending Ben-Hur away. And so, but he only told Stephen Boyd. <laughs> he, he didn't tell Heston because he knew Heston wouldn't go for it. <laughs> okay, I just double-checked IMDb, and yes, at the end of Ben-Hur, there's the part where Jesus says, been sacrificed or whatever but uh ben her sister and mother he's finally found them again after being a slave and they are lepers oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. jesus heals them okay yeah so there is a total jesus thing in there so but yeah mostly it's, it's, it's rosencrantz and guildenstern are dead for, for yeah, jesus for the jesus set and of course there's the ten commandments we briefly alluded to the fantasticness that is mr yule brenner uh-huh oh, so beautiful <laughs> Especially in all that Egyptian finery. Oh, that, yeah. That's kind of like his, his home turf. That, yeah, that gold that around epic, his... Mm. epic royalty. And he... Thing. I mean, that man could pull it off. I mm-hmm. wish... He was so interesting looking that I can understand why that limited his roles. But at the same time, I wish they'd given him more because he was just so great. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm. I just watched uh, Magnificent Seven again, and I just love watching that movie with Yul Brynner in the center of it with this vaguely Russian accent. (laughs) (laughs) Did I ever tell you I saw Yul Brynner live on stage? No. Yeah, his final tour in The King and I. We saw it in King and I uh, when he was dying from cancer. Right. Um, so he was old and he was tired, but he was still magnificent, and he still worked <laughs> those little parachute pants. Oh yeah, <laughs> of course he I, did. I got to see Yul Brynner live before he died. It was pretty okay. So, uh, podcast listeners, yes. tonight Melissa has graced me and my home with a beautiful wine with a wonderful name. It is Montepulciano da Brut. So, and it's red, 
And that's mm-hmm. really all I can tell you. And it's also delightfully fruity. It's made by Zonin. It's Oh, yes. It's Familia Zonin, 1821. Apparently, they've been around since 1821. This okay. is a winemaker's collection. So I feel bad because I'm not a winemaker and I've got it. Mm. But, you know, Zonin just makes me think that they're from a long family of James Bond villains. <laughs> oh, and Maybe that's just the influence of View to a Kill on my childhood. Oh, of all the Bonds, that one? I know. Well, you know, Duran Duran sang the theme song and everything else followed. And, you know, Grace Jones and Christopher Walken (laughs) and a way too old Moore. Oh, he was. Roger Moore. And he was at the point where when mm. he, like, tried to kiss a girl, like, his cheeks would suck in. And it was just, even as a child, before I knew how to do anything sexual, I was like, that doesn't look right. I don't think you're doing that the way that's supposed to happen. (laughs) And and with Grace Jones, it's like, how does that happen? That shouldn't. That, no. She could break him in half. Well, and I tend to think of her. In quarters. Grace Jones is sort of powerfully asexual, right? Yeah. I mean, you admire her and maybe you touch yourself when you think about her but grace jones ain't got time for you she's too busy like hunting things down and killing them with her bare teeth you grab him (laughs) and take him (laughs) one more name drop for the classic films i wanted to mention the passion of joan of arc which is from the silent era carl theodore dreyer the director um it's a I never used to hear about it, like, even back when I was doing film school things. And, like, over the last ten years, I think there's been this resurgence of interest in Carl Theodore Dreyer. And um, he's this amazing silent movie and real early cinema director who had this wonderful humanistic style. He'd really focus in on the performances. And he he has a very unusual directing style for, for... silent films and passion of joan of arc centers on this incredibly naturalistic performance by the the woman whose name i totally forget who plays joan of arc and uh it's basically the story of her trial oh yeah okay we all know how that went and poorly poorly for her and so it's it's a it just focuses on her like literally the camera just gets nearly up her nose most of the movie is just her face and her reaction to everything happening around her and um of course the men putting her on trial and there's almost no sets like the the sets are blank white walls and just super super simple and it's and it's and it's very um minimalist Neat. And it's a fascinating movie. Um, also, there was a new soundtrack made for it by the Anonymous Four a few years ago, which is a magnificent piece of music. So if you can get your hands on the music and then watch the movie with it, it's a really okay. So, great but let's talk about this yeah. period in classic biblical movies. Yeah, culturally, right? I feel like culturally it was so accepted that everybody's Christian mm-hmm. that you ended up making movies that didn't need to hit you over the head with it. Right, right. Everybody knew this story. Everybody knew it was God. We don't need to push it down your throat because, of course, you're going to believe this. Mm-hmm. So here's this great story. Go enjoy. Of course, we're going to see that in the Western world because, you know, you know, a large portion of people in the Western world are Christian. But if you look into international cinema, of course, you've got... Uh, India's been making movies since 
Since, nearly the silent era. Yeah. And a, a lot of their early films are very religiously devout. And I mean, even today, a lot of them are. But, you know, naturally not Christian. No. But culturally, India... Yeah. India has such... It is still um, a culture a culture that has two very strong religions constantly uh-huh. playing out. Mm-hmm. And that leads to, yeah, it leads to tension, but it also leads to a little bit more forgiveness mm-hmm. from one side to the other and an acceptance, especially from commercial movie makers, right. that you don't want to go putting something out that's going to be offensive to half your population. Right. Because half your population is Buddhist mm-hmm. and half your population is Hindu. So there's this very strong war sort of cultural I'm not talking well and I haven't even had that much wine. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, there are the, these very deeply ingrained cultural expectations. But on the flip side, um India has this very interesting film industry where it's not just one film industry. There's like 15 different film industries oh, yeah. and they cater to the area that's kind of tightly centered around where their headquarters are. So, I mean, when we say Bollywood, it's actually kind of a misnomer because Bollywood is just one of those film industries. That's and in Mumbai. That's It's centered in Mumbai, but there's also Tamil, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to go blank on all the rest of them. But, there, but yeah. India's got Southern India, it's got Northern India, it's got Eastern India, it's got mm-hmm. Western India. It's, yeah, there's a lot, and it's very fragmented culturally in mm-hmm. term, and very regionalistic. So, yeah. But at the same time, like, Bollywood is going to try to put out a movie that's going to play throughout the entire country. Yeah. So they're not going to put out a movie that's going to offend the local populations. Right. So even if they choose to do something that is based more in the mythologies of their their religions, they're going to they're going to play the classic Hollywood card and just present it as a rip-roaring epic. Right. Right? Without any overtones of trying to proselytize or evangelize at you. I like looking at religion from a variety of perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's so important in our world and yet it is fundamentally something I don't believe. <laughs> well, I think I think people have a hard time teasing out the faith aspect versus the cultural saturation aspect or the, the cultural richness. I mean, you can get cultural rich, richness from things other than religion. Yeah. But at least in this country, religion so saturates our history that it seems to be tied into all of well, I think Our we get history. we get the cultural richness in the classic movies, uh-huh. and maybe it's because we grew up with them, so they don't seem like they're so in your face. Yeah, maybe I don't know, but I know, but I do know that you have to understand religion to understand. <laughs> I feel like all the moisture has been sucked out of my face by this wine, and, um, and I love it. But that's <laughs> woohoo! Okay. So you have to understand religion to, uh, to understand our culture, which is why Chris and I, my husband, since we had a daughter, been working to find a way to get her, for want of a better word, culturally indoctrinated with the religion mm-hmm. information she needs to understand our culture and to understand all the references that are going to be made, right? Mm-hmm. You need to know the Bible stories so that when somebody talks about Jonah or being swallowed by a whale, that you get it. Right. Of course. Which which is usually what I'm missing. I mean, I am so 
culturally dense in terms of religion <laughs> just because i just i just did not grow up with it at all and i grew up yeah pentecostal so yeah i've i've got them all yeah I've, you you <laughs> you can lay down those cards yeah hey i know all those bible stories heck i memorized that verse yeah and so of course not only do we want teddy to be knowledgeable we also we want her indoctrinated and also inoculated which yeah. is why we're taking her to a universalist church yes yes where they will teach her all about religion and at the same time teach her to look at it with a very critical eye mm-hmm. yes so anyway classic yeah. movies I think they offer something very rich for our culture, and they also don't hit you over the head with the Bible stuff, with mm-hmm. the Jesus stuff, right? Yeah, and I, I, you know, another one I want to, just one more that I want to bring up with the classic movies is The Message, which I find fascinating. Okay, I haven't seen this, and you oh, wanted to talk okay. about this. So, so. The, me- the Message was made in the 60s, okay. or early 70s, if I remember right, but it's it's a kind of a really traditional biblical epic, but it's Muslim. There, there were two versions of it made from the same production. There was a, a version in... I can't remember what Wait. language they, fil- they filmed it in, but they, they filmed a version to send over to the, the Middle Eastern countries with Middle Eastern actors, and there was an American version with American actors, including Anthony Quinn. Wait a minute. So this is like when they filmed Dracula... The Mexican Dracula at the same time yes. as the Hollywood Dracula. Precisely. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, dual casts, but they, like, shot for shot, it's the exact same movie, different actors speaking different languages. That's, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's wild. It's, now, it's it, really, and it's a fascinating movie because it's it's a story of Muhammad. Okay. So it, it's, it's like the origin story for Muhammad, but, of course, you can't show Muhammad. You can't you can't portray him. You cannot you cannot oh. show his image. You cannot you know portray his voice or anything. So the the solution they found to portraying Muhammad's life is the camera was Muhammad. So it portrays all the other people around Muhammad as he was rising in, in well power, but um, prominence but, prominence and but it was all portrayed through the people around him and if. The people around him needed to talk to him. They'd talk directly to the camera, and you'd never hear the responses come back. But you've got, like, Anthony Quinn talking straight to the camera, talking to you like you're Muhammad. Oh, wow. It's wild. It fascinating movie. No, oh. really, totally worth tracking down. See, I think it would be kind of interesting because the Jewish faith believes that Jesus was a prophet, but that he was not the Messiah. Right. I think it'd be interesting to see a Jewish movie about Jesus where they portray him as a prophet, but not the son of God. I think that'd be fascinating. That'd be really interesting. Maybe it exists. If if it exists, I want to know about it. I want to watch it. Somebody find it for me. Okay, so um, the next sort of era of Jesus movies I remember is in the 70s where you had the whole cultural flower power of the 60s moving into the me generation right so that late 60s early 70s and the take on the whole jesus mythology was a lot more of that flower generation because when you think about it all of the hippies were espousing a very christian aesthetic which is oh yeah love is the answer and just love each other and why you got to be such a dick Mm -hmm. which let's face it that was jesus's message why you got to be such a dick right 
Don't be a douche. Don't be a dick. And so out of those movies, out of that culture, you get these more sort of flower power <laughs> versions of Jesus, like, well, of course, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ Superstar. Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> what's the buzz? Tell, Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> oh. We're only halfway through this bottle of wine. Oh, it's yeah. a fine wine. I mm. do like it. So, yeah. So you end up with these this perspective on Jesus that is really different because he becomes a lot less holy, Mm -hmm. right? A lot less stately. Yeah. And he becomes much more about this personification of love. And the stories from that era, or at least the ones I remember, are really focused on the New New Testament. Yeah. Right? Because the old Hollywood epics were entire, almost entirely Old Testament. Right. Right? They wanted the epic scale of it. They wanted... All the blood and the guts and the murder. Yeah. yeah. And then the yeah. wholesale slaughter. And you have to admit it, the New Testament doesn't really have a whole a lot of wholesale slaughter. No. 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 Not not a whole lot of action movie going on in the New Testament. No, the, if you want an action movie, you gotta go to the Old Testament. The, yeah. the New Testament, that's more your angsty inner journey sort of deal. So, you know, that'd be the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> But I find that interesting because that's also the same era that The Exorcist came out in. In The Exorcist, I think, I I think The Exorcist is an excellent, well, to back up, I think horror movies are an excellent barometer of what's happening in culture at the time. Oh, yeah. And The Exorcist, I think, was born of all that fear. You know, there was kind of this inherent fear of the world happening in the early 70s. I have an idea. Yeah, go for it. So if Jesus Christ Superstar, right? And we're coming off the 60s and the early 70s, which is this very personal interpretation of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That Jesus is love and I can love Jesus personally and Jesus can walk with me, right? Mm -hmm. And Godspell, Godspell too. Oh, Day by day, oh dear Lord, you know, Mm -hmm. I want you to walk with me. I want you to be right next to me. You're my best friend. Well, if you can have this incredibly personal relationship with Jesus, the exorcist is the flip side. If you can have a personal relationship with Christ, what if you are forced to have a personal relationship with the devil, (laughs) right? If Jesus can be part of your day-to-day life, Mm -hmm. then so can demons. Mm -hmm. Now, how are you going to deal with that? Right. And so, and yeah, there's the cultural, you know, there's always that interesting thing of, what is horror horrifying? What is yeah. horrible is really related to what is going on in the culture at that time and what is the culture most deeply afraid of. Mm-hmm. And the culture, because that was the late 70s, so we're starting to move towards no, that. That was early 70s. Was? Yeah, I, I, I want to say it was 73, 74. I want to say it's like 75. I don't think so, oh. but yeah, look it up. But anyway, uh, I mean, it, it was, of course, deeply affecting at the time. And of course what you hear today from people who are up oh, you're why do i ever doubt you it's 73 i i know my horror movies but um if you talk to people who just walk into watching the exorcist today without ever having seen it before universally they go i don't know what the big deal is but 
back when it was released, it was deeply affecting. I and, think and those one, people should shut their a-holes because I, I, I just recently, when they did the re-release, now granted they did some newer stuff yeah, yeah. with it, but mostly it was just cleaned up. That movie still scares the pee out of me. I find I still find it terrifying because, you know, I not from the religious perspective, but from the loss of self perspective. Yeah, the there is something happening I cannot control. Sort of. See, for me, the horror is this person I know and love is completely changed, and I have no idea what they're going to do, and I need to save them, but I don't know how. Mm-hmm. They are being controlled. It's like when a friend gets into a deeply abusive relationship, yeah. and you know it. And you're, you can see how they're changed and how they are under somebody else's control. And you are powerless. Or hell, even somebody with schizophrenia. It's like, at moments I can see the, the person there that I know and like and love. And then something happens. And then you're gone. And I yeah. don't know why. And I don't know how to get you back. Yeah. Right? I don't know if I could... I don't. I have not seen The Exorcist since I became a parent, and I don't know if I could watch it now. Yeah, yeah. Because that would be truly horrifying to have to face your child and your inability to help your child and to see your child suffer and just be like, right. "Oh my god." Ugh. <laughs> so anyway, so the early '70s, and you get a different take on the Bible, which is much more psychological. Yes. It's much more about what it what your personal relationship and what it would be like to as a person really live next to divinity or next to the supernatural. Mhm. Which is interesting. And then you get of course to the 80s and what do they do with that? They're like, "Let's make all kinds of cheesy oh. <laughs> cheesy bad horror movies they're oh, so delicious yeah. what do we got well i mean i was gonna bring up the omen because that was still 70s when religious oh. horror was still badass yeah i would say the exorcist and the omen go together oh totally totally yeah the, Omen, the, the omen's totally in the in the same the field. idea that well if yeah. if you believe jesus is real mm-hmm. then that means armageddon is real yeah and that means the Antichrist is real, and he's right there. Yeah. God damn it! <laughs> and and then you get sequel after sequel, and suddenly you've got Sam Neill as the Antichrist. You, you Which remember that? I do, and ah. I, I kind of like Sam Neill as the Antichrist. Oh, uh, yeah, that hot I, Antichrist. I kind of would, I kind of, I would have let the Antichrist seduce me. I would have. <laughs> Hi, yeah. Yeah, the sex would probably be awesome. Well, and also, but, Life yeah. of Brian and Holy Grail would be in that same period, but I feel well, like yeah. they Well, that moving... was more early... Well, like, uh, Holy Grail was late 70s, Life of Brian was early 80s, if I remember Yeah, right. so that's sort of that, as we're yeah. starting to shift to, if we're not going to have... Okay, this personal relationship with with religion, with the supernatural means, that means we can start making fun of it. Yeah, yeah. So, the, you know, once a satire comes in... Yeah. yeah. Oh, and and all oh, the problems they had with that, with the protests and people. <laughs> it, the movie hadn't hadn't even been released yet, and Life of Brian was getting protested. <laughs> it's not even about Jesus. No, it's about a guy named Brian. The life of Brian. Brian. His name was Brian. <laughs> His name was Brian. I, Why is that never in karaoke lists? Because I'd sing the Life of Brian song. Badly, but I'd sing it. Okay, well, we'll try to make that happen. Okay. <laughs> you know, I've never sung a Monty Python song at karaoke, and I should, now that I think about you it. You totally should. I should. 
I have a great friend in Rome named Bigger Thicken. I am pulling mm. all of this analysis out of my ass, listeners. We were going to Skype an episode with Megan Murphy, but the technology wasn't on our side tonight. So instead we're like, well, shit, okay, that's not going to work. What do we want to talk about? We're like, uh, religious movies. Okay, well, let's list some. Okay, let's start recording. And so all of this stuff that oh, I'm yeah, talking about. Oh, yeah, you're totally about, t- pulling this out of our asses. I'm just hey, making they, it up. There's more wine over there. Oh, here, let me help you <laughs> with that. Thank you. So, yeah, it, you know, once we get into the 80s, now that we've started poking fun at religion, yeah, we, we start getting into the terrible 80s horror movies based on religion, like Seventh Seal? Seventh Sign. I get no, them mixed up. I get the titles mixed up. The Seventh, there was the Bergman. Yeah, the Bergman was Seventh Seal. Seal. Maybe. Okay, the, there's the Bergman film and then there's the Demi Moore film. We'll just refer to them as that. <laughs> okay. The Bergman film happened previously, and it's actually a very funny movie if you haven't seen it. It's very... Well, it's a dry wit. Very dry wit. That's the but one it, with the... Cl- a, it's, well, it's kind of religious in that they... That's the movie where there's the classic playing chess with death. Mm-hmm. And that's why we I thought of it was because... I'm like, oh, that's about the afterlife. That's sort of religious. Yeah. And then that made me think of the Demi Moore film. Yeah. Which is all about how there aren't any more souls left in this sort of soul holding place called the Guff. I remember that. I can't believe you're pulling this out of your brain. I don't remember this movie well (laughs) enough to remember anything about it except that I constantly mix up the title. The Demi Moore character is pregnant. And her baby, there's something wrong, right? And what she comes to believe is that her child is the first child that will be born after the guff is empty, right? Okay. And so it will be born dead. And that this is the seventh sign or seal, one of the two. Yeah, one of the two. And that this will bring about the apocalypse. And so there's all these moments leading up to it that she reads about in this prophecy that she's trying to avert like there's the one a martyr who is put to death and she tries to stop them from killing this poor retarded kid and i say i'm sorry i say retarded but it's a mentally handicapped mentally handicapped so she has to stop this mentally handicapped kid from being killed and that doesn't work and then she's supposed to do something else and then there's finally earthquakes happening and meanwhile she keeps having flashbacks to her prior life back in Jesus times and her name is Abigail by the way which means (laughs) water bearer and so she keeps having flashbacks oh and Jürgen Prochnow is in the movie oh my god Jürgen Prochnow and Michael Biehn who we all know (laughs) was in the Terminator Uh I loved him so much in that movie not so much in this one but he's her husband and she keeps having these flashbacks to Jürgen Prochnow or is he the Jesus I forget anyway (laughs) but so <laughs> from Das Boat to Seventh uh, Seventh Seal Style Sineal. <laughs> so she has these flashbacks where she is carrying water while they're whipping Jesus and the Romans the Roman centurion turns to look at her and says something like, Would you die for him? And she drops her water pitcher and it breaks and she, no and and she keeps having these flashbacks oh and i forget who plays him but the roman centurion and this is actually a bit of biblical mythology mm-hmm. um that the roman centurion who was whipping christ lived forever yeah 
right? So he's actually in the movie, he's been living forever and he wants to bring about the apocalypse so he can finally fucking die, <laughs> right? So he's trying to make all this happen and he keeps getting in Demi Moore's way. And so finally, at the moment when she's delivering the baby and the baby's about to be born, but it's going to be born dead because there's no more souls in the guff, she has this flashback again of them whipping Jesus. Would you die for him? Only this time she says yes. And her sacrifice uh. magically refills the guff with all these souls. She dies. Her baby is born alive. And her husband is holding the, the crying baby while his wife is dead and... And there you go. And it's one of those great biblical prophecy movies that makes absolutely no sense. And, <laughs> but it's still upholding that idea of sacrifice, which is funny because it was the 80s. And the 80s did not believe in sacrifice. Oh, no, no, no. Not at not all. At not all. at all. Do you want to know why I watched that movie? Why did you watch that movie? Because my freshman English class teacher in college made us watch it and do a paper on it. I forget the reasoning. It was a decent reason. It mm -hmm. wasn't bullshit. She also made us watch Wall Street with Michael Douglas Greed and Charlie Sheen. Yeah. Greed is good. Gordon Gecko. And we had to do a whole paper on that. That's a good so one she was a good English on. teacher. But yeah. that's part of why I remember the movie because I really enjoyed that class. Uh -huh. And she made us watch this biblical prophecy movie. And I always love a prophecy movie, no matter how bullshit it is. I'm, I'm going to be down for that. <laughs> So, speaking of prophecy, there's that horrible Christopher Walken film. Here, I'm pouring the wine into the microphone for you, dear listeners. Mmm, wine. 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 The prophecy with Christopher Walken. Yay! Yay! And who else is sort of the main character in that one? I don't remember prophecy very well. Well, what I remember about, um, it's got Vir Virginia Madsen. That's it. Oh, goodness. And she's a teacher in a small southwestern town and there's some nazi nazi spirit who's gonna die and the all of the devil's minions want no the the fallen angels want to get him get that soul so they can he can be their general and help them fight against god literally they want a human soul to okay. lead their armies okay and so instead, oh, that's who it is. It's the it's Eric Stoltz. Oh my God! Eric Stoltz is the angel who steals the soul before they can get it, and he puts it in this poor little Mexican girl, who starts sweating a lot and speaking German. It's very strange. And Christopher Walken shows up, and he perches on the back of chairs like a bird. And he's very Christopher Walken creepy. Mm -hmm. And the plot really doesn't make sense. And it all comes down to a showdown. But at the very, very end, because I watched this when it first came out and thought it was ridiculous, but somehow enjoyable. And then my husband wanted to watch it because he hadn't seen it. And so we watched it. And I'm watching and it's ridiculous, but still a little cheesy and therefore a good time. And at the very end, the devil shows up. And the devil doesn't want his side to win he likes the the status quo just fine thank you very much so he helps virginia <laughs> madsen defeat the christopher walken character and the devil is played brilliantly by vigo mortensen and i had forgotten that he showed up i'm like oh it's vigo mortensen i knew i remembered the devil was a really interesting guy now i know why because it's vigo mortensen now the we should have a small tangent right here about great devil uh, cameos. Oh, yeah. Because 
Constantine, for all the misgivings I have of Constantine as a movie, you know, the one with Keanu Reeves. Oh, there's another one. But then Peter Stamari comes in at the end as Satan. And that's like 10 minutes of Peter Stormari. Well, the thing about Constantine is the cast is great. Well, yeah. You get um, Tilda Swinton. As, as the Archangel. Yes, yes. And she's great. Ah, she's amazing. Yeah. I mean, Constantine, what you got to do is you got to let go of the source material and just enjoy the film on its own terms. Yeah, take your DVD box, take a Sharpie marker and scribble out Constantine and call it... Keanu Reeves as a as a guy de- detective dude and then you're good as a guy he's a guy as a guy okay who else has played the devil in a great way Viggo Mortensen Peter Stamari yeah um <laughs> oh oh yeah oh oh in Twist of Fate oh god the 80s movie with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John oh wow it was played by Oh, I can see his face. Oh, I'm going to look it up on IMDb and it's going to make me happy. Oh, no, it's Two of Kind. Two of a Kind. I apologize. The name of the movie is Two of a Kind. The theme song written and sung by Miss Olivia (laughs) Newton-John was Twist of Fate. And it was Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed. Yay! Well, there are also good uh, gods in movies, too. Like George Burns okay. in the Oh God movies. I and, wrote that down. And what? George Burns is also the devil. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, because right. the well, devil. Well, the sequel, right? Yeah. That's an Oh God yeah. book, too. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing Oh God on, like, HBO or Showtime or the movie channel. One of those early movie channels. Mm-hmm. I forget what it was called. Which is also where I watched Smokey and the Bandit almost daily for the entire summer between my third and fourth grade. Right, mm-hmm. I saw Smokey and the Bandit way too many times for a child my age. <laughs> but Oh God was on. And I need to go back and watch that now. Number one, that I'm older. I mm-hmm. bet I will actually get the humor more. And number two, that I'm an atheist. I bet it's a lot funnier now. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Probably. But I remember, I remember when Oh God, it might have been an Oh God book too, but I remember when God shows up because they've got John Denver on trial and God shows up at the courtroom and they put him on trial and they make him swear an oath. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God. And he goes, uh, so help me me. <laughs> and I just love that. So help me me. Other 80s movies. Do we have Other any more movie? on there? Um, well, I The do... Wicker Man. That was 70s. The Wicker Man. Yes. Wicker Man. So bizarre. It took me a couple tries to like that movie. I, I well, think it, I think I think the biggest issue is you have to find a good cut of the movie, which is there are like eight different cuts of the original Wicker Man, and most of them make no goddamn sense. Now, to be fair, should we be talking about the Wicker Man in this podcast when that's a pagan religious movie, not a Christian religious movie? Well. I think it's I think it's fair game because it's because pagan that's a whole other subgenre. Well, remember it's the Christian cop who comes onto the island. Yeah, and gets totally trumped by the pagans, which is a totally seventies concept. It it, it really is worship the earth. Yeah, so I think I think it's fair to bring in because because it centers on this Christian man who who goes into this this pagan community. Yeah, what I mostly remember is topless girl writhing around in a hotel room near where he is but not actually where he is and yeah somehow, and, and thumping on the on the walls of the hotel yeah and, and somehow the mere power of her naked breasts in the room next door was enough to 
do things to him. Well, because he's Christian and up, therefore uptight. Okay, so the 80s were sort of a font for... That was more the beginning of that let's turn religion into a horror movie. Yeah. So you started... Well, and it even flowed into the 90s because that's when you got stigmata. Yeah. Which, if you're into the, the hot priest thing, that's Gabriel Byrne in a priest outfit. Yeah, you want to watch that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that was the most interesting thing for me about that movie, but yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate that when you take somebody that good looking and button them up that tight, yeah. all you want to do is undo the buttons. <laughs> yes. Although, although uh, Stigmata did have the interesting thing where the priest was the skeptic. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, because he, you know, he's presented with this woman who says she's... You know, experiencing stigmata and he and he actually investigates it, you know, rather than just believing it outright. Well, what I find interesting about Catholicism is that there are so many strains that Catholicism is so huge. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have you have a tradition of Catholicism, like especially from what I understand, I should be clear, from what I understand, I'm not Catholic, but especially embodied in the Jesuits, but there Mm -hmm. is this strain of Catholicism that is incredibly educated and they're very research-based and very evidence-based and they're very analytical about their religion. And that's kind of awesome. I wish there was, I wish there was more than that. And so then when you, when you have stories that that pull out that side of religion, I'm always sort of fascinated by that. Like, ooh, oh, here's something you don't see normally. You know, normally you get, I'm religious, so I blindly believe things. I like, I'm religious, which means I question it because if it's from God, it has to do certain things for me to buy it. Okay, so the classic films, right, Uh which are more epic storytelling into this more touchy-feely relationship and then now moving into the 80s of religion is horrifying yes you should be scared of it because it's gonna fuck your shit up have you really thought about what the concept of god means that means he's watching you all the time and he's omnipotent which means he's just gonna fuck with you because he doesn't care Mm -hmm. i mean when you think about god in truly christian terms that's a horror movie waiting to happen oh yeah and then, and then once you get into the two thousands, it you know you've kind of got this bifurcation of entertainment versus this media. Since it's so now so easy to produce media for really niche markets, you've got the, you've got this whole strain of media, um, all these movies that cater directly to that Christian scare market. So, you know, you got the Left Behind movies and oh, all God. those terrible, terrible things. But you also have things like, like, uh, and Passion of the Christ, and, but also on the other Except side. Except Passion of the Christ, let's be clear. Yeah. Left Behind series are marketed solely at the yeah. evangelicals. Passion of the Christ was a mainstream movie. Yeah. That was nonetheless very much proselytizing a specific religious point of view. Oh, yeah. Although I I would argue that it's just like one of those niche movies. Because when I watched it, I couldn't understand what the fuck was happening. Because there was no explanation for anything that was going on. They just kind of assumed you already knew the story. Yeah. But it went mainstream just because of... 
Well, Mel Gibson was behind Mel Gibson it. managed to get major studio yeah. funding to make this film. Yeah. And I want to be clear, from my point of view, you talk about, I don't know what the hell is going on. I know my Bible stories, but the problem with that movie is, it's look, it's another dark-haired, bearded man talking. Which one is this? Yeah. You need to delineate them. You need to color code it, code them yeah. or something because and, you know, I can't tell who is who. Yeah, I had I I had such a problem following that movie. Other than Jesus, I, because I recognize the actor. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's Jim Cavitzel. He's Jesus. I can spot him. Yeah. I don't know who the rest of you people are. Oh, yeah, I actually movie. I actually leaned over to Chris and went, Why are the demons chasing Peter? That's Judas. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember just being that movie. It they were whipping Jesus for forty five so minutes, much, and then they made him start carrying the cross, and they're whipping him while he's carrying the cross, and then he would fall down from being whipped, and they'd have to pick him back up and give him the cross again, and then they're whipping him, and all I could think was, if you'd stop whipping him, we could get to the point where you kill him faster. <laughs> It became boring to watch them beat Jesus. Yeah. And that's when you know you've done something wrong as a filmmaker. Yeah. I was bored watching them torture that poor man. Blech. So then now in the later, like after the mm-hmm. 2000s and going on, of course, the religious right has made a cultural upswell. Yeah. Right. So it started with the temptation of the Christ where they were throwing little hissy fits about the idea that Jesus would even think about having sex. <laughs> what? Unlike what happened in the last temptation of Christ. Thank you, Scorsese. Well, but that's just it. In the last temptation of Christ, it was him on, it was just him on the cross thinking about the life he might have had. Yeah. It was Jesus as he's dying thinking, hmm, I could have had sex. Yeah. And he was a man. Of course he's going to think about that. As we know, all men think about having sex. Mm -hmm. So the idea, Jesus just thought about having sex, became hugely controversial. And now at this point in time, you end up with Noah being made Mm. by, oh, who's, who made that? Um, Uh, Aronofsky. Aronofsky. And he's had to like put a disclaimer on the front (sighs) that the film is not factual. What the fuck? (laughs) Oh, that poor... That it's not historically accurate. Hello? Of course it's not. Noah isn't a historical figure. Of course it's not accurate. Are you fucking (laughs) kidding me? Now, to be fair, there is evidence for a giant flood. Not one that covered the entire Earth, of course. Well, it's called the Ice Age when it melted. Duh. No, 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 no. There was an inland sea where there was a land barrier that broke... And created this vast territory of water. I can't remember which, like the Black Sea or something like that. I can't remember which body of water it was. But it was originally a much smaller body of water. And then this huge land barrier broke. And this huge amount of water swept inland. And the shoreline advanced at one mile per day. That's amazing. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and and it dates back to about the time that the Noah well, I mean, story was There are was so many cultures that and, talk yeah. about the flood that you yeah. know that something really did happen. Yeah, and and that was probably it. it, it but anyway, uh, but we'll, anyway, we'll try and link that in the show notes. But we got to wrap we it gotta up because I've got like 3% on my computer. But what I wanted to talk about... Yeah briefly is so you've got all the bullshit with the religious right but you also have dogma you have dogma 
right? <laughs> Which is more early aughts. Like, yeah, early aughts. Early and, aughts. And it's kind of a hot mess of a movie, but boy, is it interesting. It's interesting, and you get Kevin Smith trying to talk about religion. What he's trying to do is go way back to the early 80s, and that's why it had kind of a problem is that nobody wanted to have a personal relationship with religion anymore. Yeah. And they certainly didn't want to, they didn't want it to be even remotely satirical. Yeah. Right. That's it. He was trying to make a movie at the wrong time culturally. Mm-hmm. But then you turn that around to the Da Vinci Code. Oh God. <laughs> which was a blockbuster. It was a blockbuster yeah. of a book and a really, I read the book and I found it to be great for reading on an airplane. It's a brilliant airplane book. Because uh-huh. it's just, it moves fast and and you don't have to think, don't think too hard and just go with it and rush to the end and it's fun. And then they made a movie and the movie pointed out all the problems with the book. Like, in a hugely tall albino monk is going to be noticeable when he walks through a crowd. He's not really <laughs> going to be stealthy. Yeah. Also, Paul Bettany. Yay, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany has a whole sub-career being religious in movies. (laughs) Um, But what I liked about The Da Vinci Code is for all the BS around it, that it it did point out a certain thing that I feel like the religious right keeps wanting to gloss over and Catholics too, which is that Jesus was a man. Mm -hmm. And even if you buy that he was sent here to earth by God. He was sent here to earth as a man to Mm -hmm. adopt man's sins and die. But he was a man in a culture, the Jewish culture. So you need to understand the Jewish culture at that time and you need to accept he was a man, which means to be a rabbi in the Jewish culture, you had to be married. Yeah. And to get into the temple, and we know Jesus preached in the temple you can't get into the temple unless you're a rabbi. And if God sent him down to live the life of a man, why would he have sent him down to not get married? He, w- Of course he would have gotten married. Yeah. And if he got married, there would be children. And those there would be literally children of God yeah. running around the planet. If you're going to buy this ridiculous premise, I would like you to follow the logic all the way through, please. And that's why I enjoy <laughs> The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> So That's we should wrap this up yeah. because we're down to 2% on your poor computer. Yes, we're, we're racing. We're racing. And you can tell because we started talking faster and that's yeah, not yeah, just yeah, the wine. Yeah. Right. Okay, so right. religious movies. Why do we have them in our culture? Because a lot of people are religious and it's a, a big part of our history. It's a big part of our culture. Well, it's, it's, our, it, it's, it's our culture's personal mythology. Okay, but why Aronofsky, who is an auteur of a filmmaker has decided in 2014 that he wants to make Noah's Ark the movie with Russell Crowe and Jennifer Connelly. Why? We are increasingly a secular culture. We know that. Mm -hmm. For all that, if you call up people and you ask them on the phone, are you Christian? Their knee jerk is going to be yes. If you delve a little deeper, do you go to church? Do you actually pray? Do you really believe in God? No, they don't. But that's what they were raised at. And so they identify as Christian. Yes, I'm Christian. Okay. But our culture is secular. Why? And I have to admit it. I'm going to go see Noah. I will because I know the story and it's a fun story. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's it. That the Bible is still 
such a great story. There's so many great stories in there. I would love to see them pull out all the great feminist stories of the Bible and start making those, oh, yeah. like the story of Ruth. Yeah. There's great stories in there. I would like to see a modern interpretation of Delilah. That would be super <laughs> duper fun. But instead, because of the knee-jerk religious right, what we get is disclaimers that Noah is not being portrayed in an accurately historical fashion. It'd be fun to see the Ten Commandments redone as more a story of Moses and his, and more focused on him. Well, I think I'm going to go back on something you said. I want a biblical epic for Jewish people. Yeah. There we go. Okay. A, a Torah epic. <laughs> and I've already said I would love a Delilah film in the noir tradition. Okay. Where she is the true noir film fatale who leads him to his doom and then regrets it and helps him redeem himself. That would be super duper fun. In right. black and white. Cheers to that. So we did actually get some people answering our questions on our website. There are questions on our website? There are questions on our website. And you can answer them? You can answer them. If you you click a button? Yes, you as a listener can participate in the Pleasure Dome. (laughs) And then we will read your questions and your answers out on the air. Yes. And uh, it's a... uh, idea that we stole wholeheartedly from geeks without god but yeah we have different questions than they have and and uh although ours are a little bit better because you can answer them multiple times because really this is just a way for us to get recommendations from you people for awesome things <laughs> <laughs> awesome things awesome not things. just movies yes not yes just awesome movies. things pleasure dome recommendations so our First listener to get a call out. Yeah. Hopefully. Very first one to to click the the answer our questions button is Jay Garth Wilcox. Our our first answer our first question is who are you? And it's Jay Garth Wilcox. Hey Jay Garth. Jay Garth. I maybe you want to be called Garth, maybe you want to be called Jay, but I'm gonna call you Jay Garth. Jay Garth. That, that sounds very like J-Lo, J... Yeah. Yeah, it, He's it's very, very hip. Very we have hip. a very hip and cool person listening yes. to our podcast. Yes. And what do you do, Jay Garth? Well, it turns out that Jay Garth is the owner of a small dog daycare in Winnipeg, Canada. How adorable is that? Yay! Oh. Yay, dog daycare. That, that's got to be just the the best job. Now, I want to know, is it a dog daycare that is small or is it a daycare for small dogs? Because mm. that's two different things. Like I'm picturing totally. a, a tiny little daycare with like Rottweilers, like Marmaduke in it. <laughs> okay. Or it's yeah. a regular daycare, but it's populated with chihuahuas. Okay. One okay. of the two. One of the two. It's got to be one of the two. Both please me. Both are very pleasing. And our third question is, what is in your dream pleasure dome? And Jay Garth says in his dream pleasure dome is a 3D TV, hot tub, many pet beds for my three dogs, and a Dalek to serve me and my wife food and drinks. I feel like his choice of a Dalek was ill-advised. That's just not going to go well. Somehow or another, that Dalek is going to turn against him. Mm, there is something pleasing though about more wine mistress although if he tailored the rules well for the the dalek to live in they they're totally rules 
<laughs> they, they like rules. They like structure. So if you provide them with enough structure, they don't strike. If we had a Dalek for the Pleasure Dome, let's be honest, it would say inebriate. So I I have a very brief tangent. So I once upon a time when the Mall of America first opened, there used to be a Starlog store <gasps> in it. And That's right. And the very first time I went to the Mall of America was like a day after it opened. And I went there with my mom and we went into the Starlog store. And this was the first time she ever encountered anything from Doctor Who. Uh-huh. And there was an action figure of a Dalek. And she was contemplating this going, is this ribbed for her pleasure? <laughs> like she did not understand what the concept of this thing was. She just saw bumps and... <laughs> And so that forever scarred me and made me think of Daleks as sex toys. So anyway, question number four for Garth. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out what a Dalek that was totally ribbed for your pleasure would say. And I got to think of that longer because I haven't gotten it yet. Because, I I mean, our Dalek would say inebriate Inebriate. rather than exterminate. Uh Um, I suppose that's undulate. 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 Maybe. Undulate. Mas- vibrate. 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 So okay. we, we've totally hijacked poor Garth's uh, <laughs> questions here. <laughs> so so no, Jay we, Garth has given us a Pleasure Dome recommendation, a recommendation to put in your Pleasure Dome or our collective Pleasure Dome. And he says we should put in a movie called The Colony. In this movie, Lawrence Fishburne and Bill Paxton, right there I'm on board. I'm a huge Bill Paxton fan. (laughs) They fight against savage cannibals in a future ice age. When I saw this Canadian film last May, I left the theater thinking that a future where it never stopped snowing was far-fetched. After the never-ending snow of this winter, it now seems so much more real. Thank you, Jay Garth, for depressing me yet again about we, this winter. We toast to you, Jay Garth. Thank you very much for answering our questions. <laughs> All right. So thank you for listening in on Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Uh, I was Melissa. That was Wendy. And uh, please go to our website and answer our questions. Mm. There, there's a button now that says answer our questions and you click it. And There's a button. You can push it. You can click it. Clickety click. Oh, so. uh, until next week, dear listeners, I am eating a cookie for you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes up every Thursday. You can find us at xanaducinema.com and follow us on Twitter at at Xanadu Cinema. Or follow us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Who starred in that? Oh, I'm gonna look that up. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna IMDb that. Oh. You're you're using the wrong side of your phone, Wendy. 